Coming to you from the Twin Cities, this is Toughcast. Hey everybody, welcome to Toughcast. This is Nat. This is Jeff. We've got a couple of Surleys here, but we also got something even better. Brian Coleman is sitting across the room from us. How's it going, everyone? How are you doing, Brian? Doing alright. Yeah. Hanging in there, yeah. Keeping busy with Keeping coaching? Keeping busy. Coaching, Kingsley, my wife, yeah. Extremely busy. Good. Good. No, so so we were, we did mess up the first take of this interview, and you were right in the middle of telling us about your first memory of soccer. So could you just tell me again? Start with what? What's the first thing that you remember playing the game? The, fir- the first thing I remember is I was I uh, was in my hometown where I was born and grew up, uh, Papillion, Nebraska, and I played for a team called the Cheetahs. We had some yellow and white sweet uniforms that were no name variety, um, but I was a baller back then. An attacking players, scoring goals, having assists. And the cool thing that I can't, I mean, we don't do nowadays, but they would even post like how many goals you the player had in a game or how many assists in the, in the weekly newspaper. So I, I've actually seen some of those old articles that my mom saved. And I mean, I was six years old. That's pretty cool to look back and be like, oh my God, what happened to me? I used to be good. You achieved more at six years old than I have so far. I haven't got a list of my goals or assists or anything in the newspaper yet. There's still time, man. <laughs> so, so what was? Do you do you also remember like what the first time you watched any pro soccer was when you when you experienced that this was a thing that people did for a living? So I think I, my first experience in watching was the '94 World Cup that was in the U.S. and it was, I mean, me and my friends. I don't. I mean, the games obviously weren't in the middle of the night, but I remember having sleepovers and we were just watching the reruns and and we were watching um, Nigeria play. And mm-hmm. we love watching Nigeria play because the celebrations that they would have when they scored the goals. And, and that was really like the first time that, that I can remember where I was sitting down watching it on TV and, and just going crazy. And like, I think, I don't want to say that's when I fell in love because I, I think I've always loved soccer, but... I think that was like kind of a turning point. Like, this is what I want to do when I get older. Sure. So then, were there any players either in that World Cup from that American side, the Nigerian side, or just moving forward as you headed over to college that you either wanted to emulate or just respected a lot? Uh, I can't remember from like back then. I don't remember names, and I mean, I, I think I want to say Ba. There was a Ba maybe on Nigeria. I can't remember, but when I was in when I was in college. Um, I really liked watching John Terry play. I really, I loved watching on replay, even though he wasn't a defender. I know one of my coaches at Creighton was like, who's your favorite player like that plays your, or like that you want to be like? And I looked at him, I said, Henri. And I was a center back and he was like, all right, like Coleman's not taking this seriously. And he just like passed over me. I'm like, no, but seriously, like. Well, with the Cheetahs, you were a prodigious goal scorer. I, exactly. And so. I think maybe I had like a flashback to like, to my younger days when I was an attacking player before. I mean, that's that's kind of how all defenders start off, is at mm-hmm. some point a coach says, if you want to play more, you should play defense. Maybe you're not <laughs> as good as you think at midfield, you know? Or And that's kind of what it was like when I was 14, 15 years old. Mm-hmm. I had coaches. I was playing on the best team in the state, and we had the best midfielders in the state. So it was, do I sit on the bench and play half the game maybe, or do I become an, a center back or an outside back and play the whole game? No brainer. That's no brainer. I want to play. Yeah. Was there, was there someone else who told you like, Hey, okay, being a pro, this is something that you should do. Or is that something that you decided on your own? That's something I decided on my own. So I, I remember, I, I don't remember how old I was, but 
my mom was like, what do you want to do when you get older? And I said, I want to play Division One college soccer, and I want to play pro soccer. And she was like, oh, nice. I, I have that same lamp at home. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Ikea's best, man, yeah. from like 2008. Yeah. My wife doesn't let It's in our guest bedroom. Um, <laughs> sorry. Sidetrack. But... And my mom, I told my mom, I said, I want to play Division One soccer and I want to play pro soccer. And she's like, do you know how hard it is to play college Division One soccer? And I said, yeah, but I'm going to do it. And that's just kind of, I made up my mind and, and I always kind of stro- did everything I could to do, to get there. Now, your family has a lot of athletes. Yes. So... Remind me again, are you the, were you, were there others who had gone into D1 before you? I'm the oldest of the six. So, so that must have been the first, I mean, that had to be the first time that your parents thought of something like that, right? To have other kids go on to do something like that. Was it an easy thing for them to let that, let happen? Uh, I, I think it was my, my parents were both incredibly athletic. Uh, soccer wasn't huge, obviously when they were younger, my dad played, you know, the big Mm -hmm. three in, in Omaha basketball baseball football my mom was a track star won like the state championship on her relay team uh played basketball um so i was definitely the one that kind of paved the way for the family um but we've we've kind of all just been naturally somehow good at soccer and and i mean it started obviously with me because i was the oldest and i started playing but i remember when i was little you know when you're in a, a family of six like and I'm still young. It's not like I can stay home when my youngest sister has the game. So we would all go watch the games and everything. And I mean, like my brother Brent has been a phenomenal player since he was very, very little. I remember watching him when he was seven years old, just ripping shots with his left foot and his right foot. And like, I told him a long time ago, like you're going to be better than me. When I was at Creighton, he, the first time he came to watch a game, he, I was like, what do you think of this stadium? He like looked around. He's like, "It's awesome!" Like, I can't believe you're playing here. I was like, "You're gonna play here someday." He's like, "No, I'm not." I was like, "I know you will." And sure enough, three years later, four, five years later, whatever it was, he was going to Creighton. That's awesome. And and actually, just taking off that, on that on a tangent, a couple of guys now that we've talked to have said that your presence, at least of late, especially, has been an amazing thing in the locker room. Like Christian Ramirez tweeted at you just the other day about some of the mentorship that, that he kind of saw from you. Mm-hmm. What's, has that something always been something that you've produced? Cause you know, you're a coach, you're doing that for a living. Yeah. Uh, does that come naturally to you? Has that been something that you had to learn to do? I think that's something that was instilled in us as young kids from my dad. Like he was always, it was always be a leader. Don't be a follower, be a leader, do the right thing. Don't, you know, don't follow other people and, and just take the easy way out. And I think that's translated into, not just only our athletic careers, but our lives as well. Like most of us have been captain of the soccer team or captain of something at some point. And I think that goes a lot to show about that you're raised with leadership qualities, but also a ton of us coach, like everyone that had the five kids that have played division one soccer, my family all have coached at some point. Mm -hmm. My sister is the assistant coach at the university of Minnesota my younger sister Kylie coaches in the club with me. Um, Cassie's coached in the club. She does personal training on the side of being a pro athlete as well. Brent coaches, so it's just something that that again I think I think we were just kind of raised with it, and it just kind of stuck with us. So then, going from college, um, how did you end up at the Thunder? How did you- <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. So 
after I got done playing, um, I was still at Creighton University, living in a house with four other soccer players and two other of my buddies in a seven-bedroom house. Our rent was like $160 a person because it was just this <laughs> huge piece of crap house. But um, we were sitting there one day, and, and I don't know what happened. My mom was, I don't know if she kept calling me or what, but she was getting on my nerves a little bit. And she fi- I answered the phone. I was like, what? She goes, why didn't you tell me? And I was like, tell you what? She's like, you got drafted by the Thunder today. And I was like, they have a draft? Like, what? And then a couple hours later, I got a call from then the the head, the new head coach, Amos McGee, and telling me, yeah, we drafted you today. You know, we're going to go to preseason. And I think that year we went to preseason in, like, Indianapolis and and – North Carolina or something like that. We were just we did like a couple week tour out there. So I went out there and I did pretty well. Back then the the Thunder didn't have a ton of money and they actually offered me like an amateur contract my first year and and uh so I didn't like I wasn't on salary, but every time I would make the 18, I'd get money. Every time I'd start, I'd get money and I'd get like the win bonuses and stuff like that. So I mean, back then the the Thunder had a huge camp program, so that's really I've done camp like coaching and stuff before that, but that's kind of where my coaching passion came in because I was out there every week coaching camps to help me, you know, live make a living and and be able to be on my own. So then, what was year one like? I mean, because you were playing for incentives in a way yeah and in order to find that contract you know you had to make the 18 you had to make the 11 stuff it was like that. it was tough at first um so i the first game happened to be on my 22nd birthday my first pro game and i was we were at the jimmy and a couple like back this this goes to show you how long it's come because mm-hmm. back then i had a handful of my buddies that came to the game and they were cheering Brian Coleman, and next thing you know, like the 15 or so dark clouds were cheering it too. And I don't know if this influenced Amos at all or, or not, but he actually put me in the game the last like 15 minutes or something. I came in at right back and I and I helped close the game out. And so that was pretty sweet. My first pro game was on my 22nd birthday, but um, I was still in school. Mm-hmm. So... Like, literally, as soon as the game was over, I got in my car, and I drove as fast as I could. One, because I wanted to get back and hang out with my college buddies on my birthday. But, like, the game got over with at 5.30. So I had six hours or so to get there and, you know, to hang out with my buddies a little bit before my birthday ended. Um, so, yeah, that was, I don't know, that was the first day. Did I answer your question, or did I just go off on a complete tangent? I don't know. <laughs> how, how long were you uh, moving back and forth between college and... Uh... That's it. so after I, that I played that first game and then I went back um, uh-huh. and I think there was like two weeks left to school or something okay. like that so I, I stayed back there so once I got done finished you know finals and everything I came back and I was training with the team so that that was your question um, it took a little bit of time because I missed a couple of weeks for me to get back in the lineup um, mm-hmm. which was a little frustrating you know you come from a really good school, a soccer school at Creighton and playing at a really high level. And, and I was playing all the time when I was there and, and pretty much throughout my whole college career at, at both schools. So it was a little hard not making the 18 for a few weeks or not playing. And, you know, even I think you guys or Northern pitch put out an article a few days, 
few days ago about um my rookie year when I was competing with Friedland for the starting spot. Right. right. You know, so I was able to play some games here and there. Um I don't I don't know exactly. I would say maybe ten between ten and fourteen mm-hmm. games or something like that, my rookie season, but um it was definitely motivating because you I wanted to make the eighteen and all that and start to get money, but I also somewhat struggled um living the professional life mm-hmm. even though I wasn't making a lot of money, but still like being a college age kid. So I was still doing too much partying and stuff like that and I wasn't I wasn't as fit as I could have been. Mm-hmm. Right. So like early in my career when in college, when you get tired, you can get subbed out. Right. right? And then you mm-hmm. can go back in the next half. Yeah. Well, I was, I, I struggled a little bit in, in my first year at being able to play a full 90 or, you know, just kind of making, making that transition to really like taking, doing the little things to take care of my body, to be able to push myself. I think that that's the piece that where um, also in, as a soccer fan, when you grow up, when you stop being a child, when you're watching the game and you see your heroes and they fade in and out, when you get older and you realize how some of that dedication, some of how that um, desire to really put yourself, just like you said, as a professional first, you know, Freddie Adu talked about it in his Goal.com article, yeah. how important that really is. So so that's something that as your years went on, you were able to kind of put your head down. Yeah, for sure. And I think... And I think it's it's not just me, and, it, and it's not like I was partying all the time. Like, I wasn't going out, mm-hmm. like, night before games and stuff like that. But it's also a really big difference between, like, college and pro, and it's not just the level. It's your college season is incredibly short. Like, if you, you start in August, mm-hmm. August, September, October, like, you're playing until if you go really far in the tournament and maybe middle of December. But then you make that transition – and you're like even back then. I mean, the Thunders were the Thunder seasons were seven month, eight month season. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, now it's even longer. You know, we go ten months around. So, I think that's that's not. It wasn't just for me. It's it's a lot of younger kids. You see a lot of rookies um, getting injuries in their first year mm-hmm. just because your season's twice as long almost. You go along then with the Thunder for a few years here. Yeah. And suddenly, as became a common theme, there are rumors worries about the team folding yeah about the team i mean just totally going into the ground and that yeah. happened a couple times when you were on the team yeah so as a player on those teams where you're not sure if there will be next year once the season ends what kind of mentality did you have to adopt from there well i think you know the my first my first couple years on the thunder it was i don't i don't think we really felt that um it was it was the last year, so we we got the new owner, you know, and I'll throw his name out just because I think most people don't really care for the guy anymore. But Dean Johnson or whatever, he at first it sounded like this was going to be awesome, you know. We had Nike uniforms, we all got shoe allotment. Like I had three pairs of one hundred and fifty dollars Nike shoes, you know, for free, and like everything seemed to be so good. He spent all this money and put in an awesome beer garden, and I mean there was there was no signs that people like there were problems until the then accountant who's who's still my personal accountant and and a very close friend of mine i invited her to my wedding she kind of started to let us know like without saying it she's like if i were you guys i'd be rushing to cash those checks and then it was like oh that's why she got let go because she was starting to like 
side with the players and she knew that that things were not going down the way that they should have been going down and I think I mean I don't I don't know the exact amount but I know I was never given my last like two paychecks I know I was never paid for like four weeks of coaching camps um Donnie Grimentz at the time who was the coach he is an awesome guy he quit his job teaching to become the coach and I've heard stories that he even he didn't take his last several checks so the players on the team could get their money and I mean that to me that's just an amazing person and Mm -hmm. so kind and caring and and he had a family and, and he you know pushed aside his his other job to pursue this and it was uh it was a little it was frustrating for sure but it was just kind of like why would someone do this and it wasn't just the players and the coach it was vendors it was the sports center and it was to the point where even he came in we were talking about as players before the last game um should we play should we go out and play like we haven't been been paid and he actually came in the locker room and looked us all in the eyes before and was like, you guys, I got I got this deal. I got some money tied up. I'm, as soon as this game's over, I'm headed to Chicago. Like, I'm going to take care of this. And so we all went out and played. I don't even know if it was a month later or a couple weeks later. Found out that it wasn't happening. And I think I, I was talking to you guys earlier. I was At first, I was like, oh, my God, like. I can't believe someone did this to me. I'm selling my stuff. I put on Craigslist. I, I put my warm ups on, and and I so I sold it. I probably made like 500 bucks, but it wasn't necessarily that I needed the money. It was just kind of left that sour taste in your mouth. Like mm-hmm. why, after everything we've done, and like you looked us in the eyes and you did that, and then you left. You actually experienced something like that again, uh, just for a little while with the stars too. At the yeah. end of that, and. Within those two time periods where you weren't sure what was going to happen, whether the stars were going to be there the next year, uh, or if something was going to come after the thunder, were those similar? Were, were there differences? Like, what were your thoughts? Like, how how am I going to approach this? Well, I yeah, I think there was there's probably some differences. Um, with the thunder, I think it was more like frustrate frustration and, and anger, and then. When we found out like that the sports center, National Sports Center was stepped in and, and they bought it, like it was awesome. Like now we actually have a, an owner that cares about us and and I mean it part of the problem is and I don't I don't want to badmouth the Thunder name because it, it really was just that last year. Yeah. There was so much tradition there from I think nineteen ninety till ni- to two thousand five or two thousand nine, you know. Um Great teams, great players came through there. So many great people are still involved in Minnesota soccer that are that are still around. Um, but I think with the Stars, it was, you know, we, we made it to the playoffs the first year in 2010. Or 2010. 2010. <laughs> um, then, obviously, we all know what happened in 2011. And then 2012, it was, you know, there was talks that, there might not be a team, but then, I mean, us as players, we're like, we're just going to go win the championship again. Like, how could they not, how could they let us fold if we win the, you know, win the championship? They can't. And after, you know, the, the penalty kick loss down in Tampa, it was like, that's kind of where it sat in. Okay, well, we didn't win. Like, so 
what's going to happen? Like what, like really what's going to happen? Are we going to be done? Is there, is the team going to fold? Um, but to be honest, uh, pretty much like 10 minutes after the game when we were all, you know, sitting in the locker room and feeling sorry for ourselves and going around and hugging everyone or whatever, trying to pick each other up. Um, the commissioner at the time came in and was like, you know, I know it's uncertain, but we're working. We don't, we don't want Minnesota to lose a team. We believe in the market and we're talking to some people. So I think then, I mean, a huge word that we used as a team and as an organization and, and even as the dark clouds and the fan was belief. And I think to me, that's what I, I was like there, you know, I believe in Minnesota soccer and I always have. And that's why I've only wanted to play here my whole career. I grew up here and I, I'm really proud of the fact that I was able to play my whole career here. But I think it was, it was uncertain for sure. But I, I think just in the back of my mind, I was like, it's, it's not done yet. It's, it's going to get better. And obviously it did. What were the stars days like? Oh, I think so from the last year, the thunder, we were not, we were not a team. We, they brought in a handful of XMLS guys and it was like, we didn't, we didn't have a good year. I don't think we made the playoffs that year. If we did, we lost the first round for sure. Um, but actually I don't, I don't think we made the playoffs. I can't remember. Anyway, that team was, we weren't a team. That was just a bunch of players that would step on the field together. But the Thunder, or sorry, I'm sorry, the Stars, it for sure in 2011, that's why we had so much success, is we had a bunch of blue-collar players that were ready just to work for each other. And we weren't getting paid a ton of money, but we would honestly like look to the person to our left and look to the person to our right. And I would have done anything for those guys. Digital Gopher posted some pictures on, on my Twitter and, and everything, put a thing together. And I was looking back through them and I hadn't seen some of those pictures in so long, but looking at like the, the pictures of the starting 11 and stuff. And like Brian Savilicus was one of my really good buddies. And we haven't, we haven't been as close, but it's like, God, those, those times were so awesome. Like, we just believed in each other. We we would outwork teams. It wasn't about being the best team. I mean, both years, you guys know, we snuck into the playoffs as this as the bottom seed. But we knew once we made those playoffs, it was ours. Like we we were gonna win it. Mm-hmm. And I think we that's like kind of where it all started. Uh, just being really close in the locker room, and and I'd like to think that I had a huge part of that. Um, but it would just go from like every day you you get to the locker room, you walk around, you shake everyone's hand, you look them in the eye, hey, how's it going? Whether I got mad at you yesterday in training or what, like we're a team, we're working towards the same goals, and the stars, like those days to me were some of my favorite. I think I had the most friends that I that I will always be lifelong friends with that they came from those teams. I still. Very, very often, my wife will tell you, I wake up in the morning um, and I put on my 2012 long sleeve, has the championship trophy jersey, and that's what I wear in the morning. Oh, my. Check this out. <laughs> so, so some of those of you listening, Brian just pulled uh, a pair of shorts from under his jeans and he's wearing his stars. I'm wearing my two, 2011 championship shorts. I wanted to ask you, now as someone who 
has been a great locker room presence in that Northern Pitch article I was mentioned a couple of times. A few other places people have said the same thing. What is the key to breaking down those issues like you talked about? The, when, when, the, when a conflict comes up in the locker room, when two guys or whoever or whatever is are having trouble, how do you get over that as someone who has to put it all together on the pitch? I think, you know, in the in the past, we've definitely had team meetings where like, hey, guys, this has got to stop. Like, we're, we're all, and just reiterate, like, we're all in this together. Like, we, it's one thing if, if you're getting into it or, or fouling people and, and you guys are kind of fighting on the field, but it's another thing when, when you let that carry off, right? Off the field, in the locker room, or into the next day. Like, you, that's something that I think as pro soccer players and just being professional about your job is you have to let things go. Like, at the end of the day, we're all working towards the same goal, but we're also getting paid to play soccer. And not a lot of people can say they get to do that. And to be honest, it, and I've seen it happen a ton in my career here in Minnesota, if you're one of those guys that are consistently causing problems, guess what? You're out. And we've seen it ever since, I mean, I don't know if you guys have realized this, but ever since it's become Minnesota United, there's been one player every year that hasn't made it through the whole season. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if you want to have a, a good career and you want to, you want to have stability as much stability, I guess, as you can, um, you just got to sometimes put your ego aside and be like, I might not agree with you, but we'll agree today. Right. Or we'll, we'll, we'll get past this. So on that note, I'm just going to call for a quick break right now. So we'll step aside for just a half second and come right back. And welcome back to ToughCast. This is Jeff Notches here too, and Brian has a new surly, so I think we're about ready to get kicked off here. Kicked off. Uh, that's a soccer reference. See, that's reference. another thing. I, it frustrates me because like a lot of even soccer, like, I mean, studio TV things will use so many baseball analogies or like football analogies. It's just like, just use soccer. So You're so, talking about it. Anyway. Th- this is one of my few, <laughs> few things in life that I actually have strong opinions about that relates to American soccer versus European soccer. And Brian, you can chime in on this one. I feel like I really like the local color in American soccer, like the fact that you got the cheesy team names, that you that you use things like the ballpark, and you say things like, um, oh, what what is it? Abroad, it's match, and here you say game. Cleats versus uh, boots. boots, studs. Mm-hmm. Where, where do you fall on that stuff, man? Are you like all into the American stuff? I've started more recently to call it football, or I guess I maybe I, I call it soccer, but I call myself like a footballer. Sure, uh, I think it just it sounds cooler, right? I think yeah, sure. maybe, but I yeah, I don't know. Well, the new soccer new- doesn't really. Yeah, I mean that's not just American. Well, here's my thing because Notch yesterday was also getting into a little bit of a Twitter argument with a few people on the Two United Fans account. Is it FC San Antonio or San Antonio FC? San Antonio FC. San Antonio FC is the name of what used to be the Scorpions was bought by the Spurs group and now is in the USL. Is that lazy to you? I don't know. It's <laughs> just, just maybe maybe not lazy. Maybe just not creative. 
I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think if they were like the San Antonio horse kicking cowboys or something, I don't know. Like, I think that would be so much fun, you know? Or like that would be really interesting. Alamo FC. That's kind of cool. I look right, like something that. local and still use the FC thing that's all over the world. So, 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 so okay, okay. We're getting we're getting a little taken away from our from our whole point here. No, these but... are the hot takes that Brian Coleman right. brings for us. <laughs> this is why we brought him on. But let's actually jump into something that's playing off of your current coaching perspective as well as you having been a player who played D1. So there's a lot of talk lately, and the most prominent example of this is Jordan Morris, who just went from Stanford, traded or trained over at Verder, and then came back and is now going to play for Seattle. There's a lot of talk about if it's worth going D1, getting the education at a college, and doing the soccer program there, rather than jumping into an academy as young as the age of 12, 13, some of these guys are doing, like an Eric Palmer Brown, who signed with Kansas City at the age of 11, and was playing U13s at Kansas City, and now is training out at FC Porto for the year, and he's still like 19, 20 years old. Being a coach now and having done the D1, what's your take on all of that? You know, I think, I mean, obviously, when those kids are doing the academy stuff, when they're when they're young, they're they're taking classes. Like, it's, it's not like they're just playing soccer and stuff. They're still going to school. I mean, even if you look at Real Salt Lakes Academy, I actually, I was down there, um, one of my... One of my college teammates, Mike Kraus, coaches down there. Um, it is it's the Real Salt Lakes Development Academy, but it's in Arizona. So they have a U, I believe U sixteen, U eighteen. They might go as U as as young as fourteens now, but I don't mm-hmm. know. But those kids are they go there and they're there to play soccer, but they go to school during the day and train every night. Um, I think there's kind of mixed. There's mixed feelings that I have. Um, obviously, if you are able to go into a development academy and and learn and, and play every day, you're gonna get better. Um, if you're able to go straight into a pro, con- you know, uh, academy or whatever you want to call it, once you're done with high school, you're gonna be playing more often than than college. That's that's like the problem with NCAA college so- soccer. On the, on the on the one hand is there's limits to how often you can train during the season there's limits to when you can train in the off season mm-hmm. so yes you're getting your degree and and that's really really important i would always push my my kids to make sure you're getting your college degrees and you're going to your classes but i think if somehow you can do both like for instance i know the uh, generation adidas program mm-hmm. that they'll give, you know, generation Adidas contracts to kids that come out of college early or that don't go. But I don't know if a lot of people know this, that generation Adidas also pays for them to finish their college, hmm. whether they do that right now or, or if they do it in the, in the future, it's, it's, I think it's up to the kids, sure. but I think that's hugely beneficial. Um, you know, my sister's boyfriend, Eric Miller was generation Adidas and he left an early, a year early. And I, I believe he's, I don't know if he's completely graduated yet, but I believe he's been taking classes his whole time, and and Adidas has paid for that. Right, um, as he's playing at Montreal. As he's for playing, those of you who don't yeah, know. yeah. Sorry, at Montreal Impact. Yeah. Um, and currently with the U.S. national team. Mm-hmm. Congrats, Eric. Good job, buddy. Good um, work, man. He listens. He, he he's an avid Duffcast listener. Yeah, I think he is actually. <laughs> but I mean, I I think obviously, I mean, it, 
this more the quicker you can be thrown into that atmosphere of the professional level, the professional atmosphere, you're gonna benefit as a player tremendously. I mean, I know when I when I was in college, it was I can't, I can't even remember exactly, but I think it was like you could train twice a week in the in the spring. So like from January until April, like you're you're not really playing that often. And and we would go out and we would play pickup on our own, but it's not the same as being put through a real training session and real competition, you know, year in and year out. Um, So I don't know. Tricky question. Tricky question. I think I, I, I mean, there's pros and cons to both. I mean, I'll say as as someone who works at a college now, like I find this, I, I talk to a lot of kids about their decision to go to college about why I'm in admissions. So, I think the the key there is I, f- I feel like when it when it comes to sports with your athletic ability with your young mind and your development, uh, I am not an athlete, but a lot of people have told me when you're young when you're when you, when you're at that eighteen to twenty two stage, the things that you learn, having that availability of high level competition can be huge. And I feel like college is something that you can come back to. You know, you can get back and get a great degree at, say, for whatever reason, your career just tanks, and by twenty three you realize, ah, man, I. I this is not going to work. You can go back to college, but those 18 to 22 years, in my mind at least, you can't get back. I mean, I don't know how, how you feel about that, like whether I'm right about that piece, but I feel like college is something you can get back to. So I, I will tell you from my experience, and, and it's something that I'm not proud of, but but I also had difficulties doing. So I, I started at Jacksonville University, a small D1 school, mm-hmm. which I won't regret. I met a ton of amazing people down there, but more it was a small school. So... I actually went down there. I went and saw the coach who I believe until recently, I he still might be there. He got a job coaching at Shattuck, St. Mary's. So like my college coach from Jacksonville, Florida mm-hmm. moved up here and was coaching for high school. Um, but I got, I went down there on like an official visit and everything and realized I want to go down there. I want to be in Florida. I want to get away from the cold and the, and the winters. Right. Right. Me and my dad drove down. Coach told me to come see him when he when we got into town. I go in and he said, and this this dates back to earlier being the first one in my family to kind of pioneer the competitive like college thing. We didn't really know. I didn't I didn't put myself out there. I didn't do recruiting. I kind of always thought being on the best team in Minnesota, if coaches were interested, they'd come find me. Right. Right. Well, senior year, I had no idea where I was going. I didn't know. Like I was kind of hitting the panic button. Um, well, right. The U of M doesn't have a D one. No Minnesota teams have D one. Right. So, and I mean Madison and, and Milwaukee have a, have good programs and oh, stuff. Yeah. And at, at that time, when I was reaching out, most big schools or most soccer schools they already know their incoming class for the following year. Mm-hmm. So I end up anyway. I went down, me and my dad, and and we went and saw the coach, and he said, "Yeah, walk ons come on Monday." And I like turned to my dad, like, "What? Like walk on? Like?" I came on a visit and everything like we were clueless, right? Right. So that weekend, the the team had like a preseason game, and I didn't even I was so clueless. I didn't even know they they've been in preseason for a couple weeks. Um, sat my we watched the first half, and it, me and my dad were pretty quiet. We just sat and kind of watched. And at halftime, he turned to me and he's like, "What do you think?" And I was like, "I don't think these guys are very good. I can play here." And on Monday came around, I came out, I was warming up with all the other walk-ons when the team was warming up on the other field. And I'm looking at like these walk-on players, like, 
what are these guys doing? Like these guys think they can play Division One soccer. Like they like kids had their socks folded over their shin guards and like tennis shoes. Like I was like really like kind of embarrassed that I was a walk on at this school. Um, so we played like we split up the teams and it was uh it wasn't the starters that played over the weekend. It was like the guys that didn't play much or didn't play at all, um, and like ten walk ons and we we played and I played like left back. And I had a goal and two assists. And the coach the coach came up to me after the game and was like, I'm sorry, like I made a mistake. We want you on the team. And it was it was that simple. It was literally one day of me playing. The the gentleman's hat trick declare. This is something yeah. that I've wanted to put on oh, yeah? and that I've suggested in the podcast a few times. When you have three goals that you contribute to, whether a goal or assist, any combination two, one, zero, three, whatever, Ooh, should be called like the gentleman's that. hat trick. I like that. I like that. <laughs> instead of like instead of being selfish. And instead yeah. of yeah, exactly. Because some people be like two goals and assists. It's a gentleman's hat trick. Yeah. You know, he wasn't too selfish to do all three. That's really good. I think I think we should start that. I'm gonna start putting that on my Twitter and stuff. Please do. Gentleman's Great. hat trick. That's, That's awesome. all I'm looking for. I've never heard that. <laughs> That's because yeah. this, this dude came these up. These are the that. hot takes that we bring <laughs> to the um, So you have an interesting perspective because you've played USL and you played NASL. Yeah. Having seen those USL two teams and then, I mean, through Open Cup games over the last four or five years, played against them, what are you noticing? Because there are USL fans who are adamant it's equal, and then there are realists who say it's tier two, tier three. So what do you see? I would, I mean, I would say as a player, and from what I've seen, is, is is there's definitely there's quality, very very quality USL pro teams that can compete and that would compete and they get the fans that that the NASL does. But I mean, they I don't even, I don't even know what the real number is, but I would say the very majority of those USL teams, if you put them in the NASL and you had a battle through midweek games and week in week week out, you're you're not going to compete. But I think if you if you bring the top teams in, for sure. Like I mean, and now that the MLS teams have to be affiliated with the USL team, you're you're seeing even more quality young players in those those age. I mean, we we played you know United played this year with uh you know St. Louis and we put a I guess a majority of our second team out, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, we end up losing it in PKs to that. But I mean, it, it was a pretty competitive game, and, and they were able to hang in. And, and I'm not sure how St. Louis ended up doing in the league, but I think there's like again, the vast majority are Division three teams, but there's a handful that would be that could be Division two. So then, playing against those teams week in week out, what do you notice as the team goes in and heads to the brand new NASL? Is there anything that changes about your training regiment, about the locker room? I mean, obviously with the different owner and everything, there's all those changes. But with the new league as a fledgling league that year, what's different? Oh, you're talking about in 2011 when we split in 2011. Uh, I think uh, that that's a really hard question because I think anyone that has played in the league in 2000 in NASL in 2011 through now, like I've been lucky to. There is such such a huge improvement, and on every team, the the quality of players is just so much better than than it used to be. I mean, it it used to be to the point where you could make a sub or two, maybe three, but like, I bet if you go back and you check the stats, like they're pretty similar subs, or like the the top fourteen fifteen guys mm-hmm. 
are playing pretty much week in, week out, game in, game out. Where now you can play like I mean and there there's been times in 2013 where we needed to rest, where United needed to rest players and we played the whole second team and we still were able to get wins. And that one it's the quality of players higher and two it's just that United has you know, Dr. Bill McGuire and, and Nick Rogers have decided to put more money into it and get better quality players. So you have a way deeper team. And I would say United's deeper than most other teams in the league for sure. You know, there's there's a handful that, not less than a handful that, that are pretty deep. But I think just overall, the quality of players is, is way higher than it used to be. And so it's kind of, that's kind of a hard question to answer. Let's, let's talk about something you touched on before, which is the Open Cup. And this, again, relates to that thing of the second team and um, priorities. Because the Open Cup comes in right in the middle. It's a separate competition. Where have you seen... What, what have you seen United's approach to the Open Cup be like? And this is something that a few of our Twitter followers have actually asked us consistently to ask people is, what do you think the team's approach to the Open Cup is like? So I think it's kind of... It, it's. I'll answer that question with the Stars and United. So, like, the Stars, and those were my glory days, 2011. Well, half of 2011. 2012 was, like, my best season where I was I was the right back. I was playing all the time. Um, and then half of 2013. Um, back then, we would, we would play our second team in league games. And we, we were taking – that's how we – I mean, that year we beat – I think it was a mixture when we beat in 2012. Des Moines Menace. I played against my little brother in that game for the first time <laughs> in like a real game. I have a picture of me on the ground because he stepped on my foot and pushed me over like on a set piece. <laughs> and I was like, hands up to the ref like, what? And Kyle Altman and Kevin Friedman are pointing at my brother. It's it a pretty sweet picture. But, um, and then again, that we... we rested our first team on the weekend. We tied, I think, I want to say... Over the two weeks that we rested players, we tied Tampa and we tied San Antonio. And then, because then the following week we had Real Salt Lake. And those of you guys that have been fans, we all know we went to Rio Tinto and we destroyed Real Salt Lake 3-1. to one. Um, And then again, I think we might, it actually might have been three games. I can't remember, it's been a while. Because then we had San Jose. So back then we were... We were resting our first team or a majority of our first team players that uh, and putting our second team out. But it's kind of, I think the, the thought process the last couple of years is that we were such a good team and we were so deep, it didn't really matter who we should put out. Like, we, we should win. But, you know, from personally last year against St. Louis, there were the majority of us on the team that, had not gotten a game together in a long in in a while, mm-hmm. and it was really like a, a high competitive game because we'd play against the reserve team. But I mean, let's let's face it; it's it's not the same. Our reserve team versus our second team, it's seven zero. Yeah, um, it's not a game. So right, I think I think and, and what I hope is for United in the future. Now that I'm not involved, that. They take it. Oh, and there was players on the team that actually said, like, there was a player who didn't last very long on the team last year, but they'd said, like, what do I care? It's an open cup game. Like, are you serious? Like, 
you're making five times more money than I'm making, and you don't care about this game that I'm about to play in. And the Open Cup game was one of the five games I got to play in last year. Like, yeah. I, every time I was able to play, I took it as serious as possible. Right. Um. So hopefully, United in the future, they they find a way to win those games, especially games like that 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 we really that they should be winning. And that's something USL teams. That's something that we heard actually earlier in the week. We interviewed Carl Craig and we interviewed a few other guys. But Craig made sure to make it clear that with the Open Cup, they're going to treat every game as the most important game, and they would make sure because there's a lot that goes with the Open Cup. And yes, you're playing against a team that by name is in a lower league than you, but that's still a game you want to win. You yeah. want to win every game that you get. Yeah, it doesn't, for. like we said, it doesn't mean the quality is lower either. You know, it's, right. It, right. They're, they're, it's very parallel. And, and, and they're playing their hearts out because just like, I bet when you guys they go got out nothing to sporting KC, right? yeah. yeah. You know, and, and as fans, when, when we see you guys take on MLS teams and we see United beat an MLS team, which I haven't yet, <laughs> but there's still stories of how the Thunder defeated Landon Donovan. Yep. And and, and and Salt Lake, I think that year right. too. They they went and they beat two. Melvin Tarley, guy yeah. I, I played with for a couple of years, was just he got an MLS contract out. Of, I think he scored a hat trick on one of the teams. And, right. Yeah, yeah. So the, these are the stories that get passed down. Whereas, I mean, when you really go up and win everything in, in your league, that gets talked about for years. But an, a, a win against a higher level team in the Open Cup becomes legend. Yeah. In a I mean, way. So, so even yeah. my retirement announcement last week, I mentioned three games. Mm-hmm. The NASL game, the championship 2011, mm-hmm. beating Real Salt Lake, and beating Swansea. And, like, I, I know that Swansea was – it was a preseason game. You know, they played it. But we beat Swansea. You did. We beat them 2 Yeah. Nothing. It was amazing. <laughs> that is the Swansea best up. game I yeah. have seen as a fan of United. Everyone was so happy that day. Oh, yeah. I just when I when I announced my retirement, um, Eric Durkee, awesome guy, love the guy to death. Um, my my dad and his dad have been drinking buddies for a long time. Our sisters played together, so <laughs> the first time I met him, he was like, "Yeah, we went on vacation together. You were drinking rum and cokes," and I was like, "No, nope. <laughs> that's my brother. He's the rum and coke guy." <laughs> um, but anyway, he he sent me a picture, and it was and I was like this and like. I look. I was ripped. Like you could see all the like the veins in my in my muscles, and I was just like pumping my arms. And I was like, dude, I've never seen that video, you know, or that picture. Where'd you get it from? And he's like, that was the Swansea game. I was like, oh yeah, that's when Greg Jordan scored. I remember. I was just going <laughs> crazy. Like, yeah, yeah. No, it was, it was a great moment. I mean, um, I guess one one question about the United years I just want to ask is like you, you touched on before. Twenty twelve was the the season where you got the the most amount of starting time last time, and and since then you've seen your playing time get cut a bit. Yeah. As a player, how is that for you? What does that do to your psyche? What does that do to to the way you're motivated? I mean, it. it I'm not gonna lie; it hurts. Every, everyone wants to play. Everyone. I mean, two thousand twelve. It was. It didn't matter. It didn't matter. I was the dude. It didn't matter how I played. It didn't matter. I was going to play. The only the only games that Venegas played that year were the games that I was getting rested. Um, 2013 started off the same way. I was I was the guy. I played all the time. Um, we had a little break. That was... I hate to say this. I'm sorry, Kingsley. That was when my son Kingsley was born. Um, the first game back. By the way, I came to practice the day after my son was born. 
my wife, my Manny was kind of like, wow, you're here. And my wife was like, you're going to practice. And I was like, I got, <laughs> I got to play. I was like, dude, Venegas is like on my heels. Like if I don't play, he's going to, right? <laughs> so that was also the time that Kyle Altman retired. So like the past year and a half, I was like the vice captain. Um, the next game I, I wore, you know, wore the captain armband and, mm-hmm. I don't know if it was like that I was tired because I had a new son or what, but I ended up getting a red card during um, the Atlanta game, the first game back for the for the fall season. And um, it was just, that was kind of, Benegas played well that game and, and he kind of played for the next couple games and then then I got it back and I played a couple games and that, that was kind of the start of, of me losing the spot that, I pretty much worked from 2006 until 2011 to gain. And and I don't know if a lot of people realize even in, in 2011 um I wasn't like a consistent starter. It was it was back and forth between me and Friedland and and Chris Clements and there was a point where I actually remember having a conversation with Manny and I was like and I don't I love Kevin Friedland um we competed at the same position and in other positions and played alongside each other for years. And I was actually talking to him over, over the phone earlier today. Um, there was a part where both him and I were playing well. I, Kyle Altman got a red card and I played center back for a game, which I hadn't played in a couple of years. And I did extremely well. The team won. And then, and Chris Clements, wore the captain's armband that game. I don't know why that, that sticks out at right back. And he did not play very well. So the next week it was between me and Kevin who was going to start. And we were like alternating throughout the week playing with the first team. And I went up to Manny. I was like, listen, like I have no idea why you're even thinking about, you know, like alternating. Like I have, do you realize that every game I've played in this year, we've either won or tied. And he's like, Oh, I didn't know that. And I said, and last, like last week, I, I played center back. I haven't played center back in years, and we won. And like, I don't like. Why am I not playing? He's like, well, my my mind's not made up. And he ended up starting me that game. And I'm not saying it was me at all. It was it was for sure the team. There was another player who, Brian Tavilikis, who just got thrown into the lineup roughly. I think a game before me, but it was that group. Like we just clicked, and that's when we made our our huge playoff push, and then made playoffs, and won the championship. But Anyway, sorry on that tangent. I 2013 was, you know, kind of the year where I started losing it. Um, you know, and Venegas was the starter again in 2014 and broke his jaw, so I was able to get a handful of games in and all that. And and then, you know, going forward and, and last year, you know, Manny gave me a new contract, even though United never never announced it, but I got a new contract um, for more money. And Manny's like, you've been a great leader for this team. You, you work hard, you do all the right things. And, you know, I want to reward you like, yeah, you're not going to be a starter going forward, but we still believe in you. We want you to, you know, be a leader at training when the time comes that you're playing that we want you to step in and and do well. And, and, you know, from that season and through last, I, I was, uh, I did that. And, you know, until my end of the year meeting this year, the coaches were extremely happy with how I handled everything and able to carry a bond uh, upon my business. And I think that's, you know, mm-hmm. what a true professional is being. You know, you can't 
everyone can't always be the starter forever. You have to have some humility and realize that there's younger players that that do things better than you. And I think, you know, I think still I'm a better defender than Venegas, one-on-one defender. Mm-hmm. But I can't get forward like he can consistently up and down. I'm not as fast as he can. I'm not I'm not as good dribbling as he can, you know. So um, I wish him all the best. I wish the team all the best. I think uh, from what it looks like with all the offseason training or signings, I think they're going to be very tough to beat, and I think they're building like an incredible building block for the future. So you've now – Come was nine years. Nine years. Nine years. Three, three, and three. three that's right. The only that's player true. ever to do it. And and <laughs> longest serving member on the team. Got Justin Davis beat by four years. Oh, actually, yeah. Shit, you answered our next question because I was going to ask you who's now the longest tenured player. Justin Davis, and it is yep. Justin Davis because Cristiano Diaz isn't coming back, right? Right. And Gotsmanoff were the only guys that were on 2011, but Gotsmanoff, right? Had a break. Had a break. A, a long break for right. a pro soccer player. But yeah. Right. So what made you decide that this was the time to retire? There were a ton of things that, that led into that decision. Um, ultimately, this season was unsure. It was unsure if I was going to be able to play. And I decided that I needed to start focusing on what was what was certain and what, what I needed to do best for my family. And... Uh, that was it was time to hang him up and i i i had an opportunity maybe to go play for other teams and i wanted to retire alone yeah one club man it's it's incredible and i mean i said this to you before and i i really i really think it's something that's notable even someone who's been here a shorter time as i have has noticed this that when it comes to players and you and interactions with the dark clouds feelings of pride for minnesota they're you're unparalleled i i've always Felt that a lot of people speak very fondly of you here, and my own interactions with you before today have been fantastic. Um, and and now you're you're looking at really phenomenal things. You're going to keep coaching with the club that brought you up, right? As yeah. as a player yourself. Yep. I start so when, when I moved here when I was ten, I, I started playing for Woodbury Soccer Club, and I've been coaching for them since 2010. So last six years, I've been with them. And, and you're going to have your own business soon too. Yeah, I started. Uh, no, I I actually started my own my own business. Um, small business. Personal training and and small group training just for me really focused on you know having that little intimate interaction with a small group of players that that I can really develop. And it's called the football club, Portuguese spelling. Nice, nice. Everyone loves a little Brazilian or Portuguese. Right? Everyone does. We, we were talking about that right after we came back from the break. You know the, the terminology of the game. So so yeah, no, that's incredible. That's fantastic. So so people can. Have you once once some space opens up in your client roster? Yeah, as their soccer coach. Yeah, let me know. Let me know. Brian That's Coleman incredible. at gmail dot com is the easiest way to get to me. Right on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I got. I mean, like this would be like if in my job I could have someone who's been successful for fifty years. I could be like, okay, hey, every day you're gonna help me be more successful. I mean, that just it doesn't happen anywhere, man. That just doesn't happen in any other job. That's that's incredible. That's no, it's, awesome. It's something that I really um that I really enjoy. So I, I love coaching kids. I coach anywhere from um right now I'm coaching our our U10 academy, our U12 girls academy at Woodbury. Mm-hmm. I coach a fifteen year old girls team. I coach high school, JV, at Woodbury High School in the fall. But, like, 
I love coaching all ages and and something just like that development. It's not necessarily like I love coaching teams and the team, but I also love the individuals like development, like working on technical work, dribbling, passing, you know, trying to put players in situations that they're going to be in the game. So when that when that time comes that they they know what to do, they have ideas and they're comfortable with the ball at their feet. Like that that development and technical part is awesome to me and I love teaching that. Sure. Well then, as you're moving forward here, we talked about some guys that you still are in contact with mm-hmm. or guys that you're talking to. Which teammates that you've had for better or for worse, I'll let you choose are the most memorable for you that you've had over the years. Oh my God, this is a long list. So fire away. Say like Connor Tobin is awesome. He, you know, sent sent you guys Northern Pitch a sweet article about me and was so kind not to put all the not bad <laughs> things, but the crazy things in. But but gave you guys a little bit of taste. Like that kid is he would do anything for so many people. So kind, such a good leader. Um I actually commented on Instagram on a North, uh, Carolina Railhawks Instagram today like congrats on re-signing Connor like he's a great leader a great person great role model for the kids he works harder than anyone I don't know if he still has that killer beard or not but um, <laughs> yeah, he grew that out last year Neil Neil Lavity is another guy that I've always you know kept close with uh, really one of our really good friends we me him and Connor used to have like our, our, in 2012, we would have a Wednesday tradition where we'd go out, and, and Kyle Altman, we'd go out and have um, some beverages and golf, and then we'd come back, and my wife would make tater tot casserole, and we'd have a couple beers at my house, and and just that like just oh, great times with those guys. Kyle Altman was a great leader, great captain for a couple years. I don't people probably don't know this. I played with Kyle, I think 2008. He was a young guy, didn't play much. Then he, I don't even know what he did. Didn't play for a while. Didn't play for a year, maybe two. Then he came back and and was like the youngest captain, I think, ever. Um, Just a great guy. Matt Van Okel was my roommate on the road for so long. Um, We don't don't talk as much as we used to, but it's hard when, when he lives in Canada. But it's, I mean, when when you see him, it's like, hey, roomie, what's going on, buddy? Like, give him a hug and... (laughs) He's just such a big, cuddly teddy bear that looks way scarier than he really is. <laughs> um, one of my, one of the, you know, the the guys that I talk to the most is Andre Sarango from, and this was I played with him Thunder in the first year on the Stars before before he left. Like I've always kept really close to him. I talk to him on a weekly basis. Um, like I said, Brian Savilikis, we haven't we haven't been as close. Um, the last few years but he's a guy that was that was really close to my heart for a few years and him and his his wife and me and my wife were like we call ourselves the fab four we would woodbury people we'd always hang out we'd take my parents boat out on the river have some drinks get poured on we got caught in a storm once that was always a memorable story um kevin friedland i started off like why is this guy playing over me my rookie year like I'm bigger, I'm faster, I'm stronger. Like, And then my last couple of years, he was the, the best mentor I could ever ask for. Before games that I was starting, he'd he'd come over and say, hey, 
what what do you need? What can I do for you? He'd he'd pass me balls for me to cross. He'd throw header, you know, balls up in the air for me to work on headers. What really he he was kind of a my mentor as as an outside right back because I didn't have a lot of that from from the coach at the time. Um, Dan O'Brien was a guy that people Thunder fans and would remember back from back in the day. He's another Minnesota kid that. Uh, that grew up, you know, here, I, he was a couple of years younger than me that I used to always play against. And I played with him for a couple of years and then he went down to Tampa. Um, he's still back here. He's doing big things. I talk to him every now and again, but I used to live with him and, in, in Arango really close kids. Uh, I'm definitely forgetting so many people, but right. And, and you've had so many players over the years you played with yeah. the other two that you really had mentioned earlier. Uh, well, I was getting to those guys. Sorry. Oh, go for it. Sorry. Then you go and then of course, you know, my, my adopted sons, um, <laughs> Miguel Ibarra and then, and the year later, Christian Ramirez, um, just great guys. It was like the first time this was back when my, before my wife, uh, was pregnant and, or had kids. So like after the, one of the first games of the year, Miguel's first year at the Metrodome, we all had to go to, I think Brit's pub or something. And my wife was drinking throughout the game and she's like, Oh my God, he's so cute. Like let's adopt him. <laughs> and so like from there on, he was like our adopted son. And then, you know, the next year he brought Christian and, and Christian was it. And it's just, I'm so happy for Miguel and, and, you know, his success with, you know, the U S national team and getting an opportunity and, getting you know sold to leon and doing big things down in mexico and and he's going to continue to to push the envelope on being a speedy little mexican-american player that can just run for days i mean you don't see that very often um christian ramirez you know i know you guys know he's just he's he's such a good player but he has such a kind heart um congratulations for him getting engaged in the off season um, looking forward to hopefully being invited to that wedding in a warm location. Um, <laughs> but the kid just got a, a natural talent for scoring goals. Hopefully he gets his opportunity with the U.S. national team soon. Um, and there's just so many others like Jamie Watson, just such a great person, energetic I mean, sometimes you want to slap him across the face because he talks so much, but, <laughs> but he, you know, he's so loving and caring and Greg Jordan is like the nicest human being in the world. But when you play soccer against him, like you hate him because he'll like literally throw his head in front of your foot to like stop a shot or something. And, and I, I'm, I'm going to jump in here and say every other player that Brian has played with you're probably on this list, and if I don't jump in right now, you're going to come up. So I'm going to take the blame for this because Brian would have named you right now. Well, and I, I have to I say one more. Okay, one more. I have to say Brent Coleman too, even though sometimes – My little brother. Who? My little big brother, sorry. Baby baby BK. Poker champion, Brent po- Coleman. Po- yeah, he's a poker star. We were talking about that earlier. Um, not many not many older brothers. Like, So this has been a question that when people hear that I played, oh, have you guys played together before? No, because he's six years younger than I am. So I think, you know, I'm thankful that I've been able to have a career long enough to play three years with my brother that's six years younger than me. But um, what a tremendous athlete, a great player. Um, You have been underutilized the last three years, and I hope that Carl 
you know, keeps true to his promise and gives you a ton more playing time this year, dude, because you make me so proud. I'm so happy to be your big brother, and you're, you have so much more to accomplish in this sport. Absolutely. I think both Jeff and I, that's one of the topics that we're, we're pretty much agreed on. We were talking about this in our last episode, actually. So um, I, I will say, I will say, Brian, I really, really do want you to stay active with the dark clouds. Like as someone who's involved in the organization, I would really like to, to hear from you constantly. And uh, someone who's such a Minnesota United, Minnesota sports, I should say, um staple we we would love to see more of you and and thanks so much for joining us here today like i really appreciate your time okay where can people find you on twitter and instagram twitter b-r-i-a-n-k-a-l-l-m-a-n 14 um same thing with for my instagram you can also follow me on the football club i have that as well uh on instagram and twitter um hit me up on facebook whatever i'll always reach out to fans i'm always here uh though i'm retired i'll always be a loon and i'm i'm not going anywhere i'll be around the soccer world for years to come cheers man this is not this is jeff goodbye everybody